Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 85. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. <laughs> you took your time there, Lisa. That was good. You wanted to. You Why really ratcheted up the tension. You really ratcheted up the tension there while we waited. A delay. I know. I was. I was thinking, is she or is she not? <laughs> Um, well, there was no break in it for me. I jumped in quite quickly. Oh, okay. That took a while from our end. Um, now, uh, we'll, we've uh, our plan tonight is we're going to be talking uh, environments with Professor Deborah Harcourt. She's been a guest on the show uh, before. I, I think the episode might have been fifty three or back in the fifties. There, we've we've got her back on to talk about um, a topic we've been sort of talking about amongst ourselves offline via email. Uh, environments in early childhood services. So I'm looking forward to having that discussion. Um, we wanted to, just while we're here in the intro, just to do a, a few uh, announcements. This feels like the housekeeping section. So if we need to evacuate, you may go to the to the doors out the back. The, the, the toilets are out the door to the left. Um, we have uh, a number, we've, we've got a few events coming up. So if you're in Melbourne, um, I think this is actually only two weeks away. This has come around really quickly. I'll be uh, on a panel for the Mitchell Institute on uh, quality and early childhood. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we actually had uh, Charlie Smith from Mitchell Institute on last week's episode, uh, who's and they're sort of running and, and putting the show. So I'm really looking forward to that one. If you're in Melbourne, it'd be great if you could uh, could check it out. Um, and then we're also, I think they're, they're locked in now. They've advertised us. They have to take us now, which is we're going to be at the Child Australia conference in, in March. So... They've flown us to Darwin, now they're flying to Perth. Child Australia are very lovely. They seem to... We didn't scare them off in Darwin. They want us back for another one. They are. They are lovely and we're very grateful. They um, are. Yes, and I think tickets for that are now available. You can register. Um, all three of us will, will be there. We, I think we, if the plan is... Look, it's still a little while away, but the plan is we might try and do a live show from there. So this will be a great opportunity to, to, you know, to see us do a show live and... Um, watch us bring our usual standard of professionalism and organisation to a live show. So what can possibly go wrong? We should start Sorry, planning. I no, thanks, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> professionalism at all times. Um, the other sort of exciting thing this week, or at least exciting for me, um, is we've sort of launched our first uh, Patreon subscriber exclusive show. I've been thinking for, we've, I think we've had the Patreon up for about a year and a half, and I always feel really bad. We sort of have this there, and we don't do anything special for the people who do it. The whole point of Patreon, I think, is that people <laughs> support us and then hope they get a little bit of a reward, and we've been very bad on that score. But that's all changed this week. Um, I'm doing a sort of solo show where I look through uh, the each element of the National Quality Standard one at a time, uh, once a week. We're calling it with the imaginative title of Exploring the NQS, but this will just be for people who are supporting us on Patreon, and you can do that for as little as $1 a month. So it's kind of hopefully hopefully worthwhile. You get these little nuggets of 10 to 15 minutes uh, PD. Um, I just love talking early childhood, so I would do this uh, till I'm blue in the face. So hopefully they might be a bit useful. We're gonna... I'm sure it'll be worthwhile. I hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. It'll be fantastic. We'll be getting our professional development every week from them, <laughs> won't we, Lisa? <laughs> So um, if you want to hear those those episodes, they'll be out every Tuesday. Sure. Um, just head to patreon.com forward slash early edu show um, and become a supporter. Uh, you can also find some info about it on our website. Um, if you just go to earlyeducationshow.com and click exploring the NQS, you can find out a bit there. Um, but without any further ado, we'll, we'll take a quick musical break and be back with uh, Professor Deborah Harcourt in just a moment. Stay with us. All right, everyone, welcome back. And we're very excited to be joined by uh, Dr. Professor, probably many other titles I'm not even aware of, Deborah Harcourt. Deborah, welcome back to the Early Education Show. 
thank you, Liam. It's nice to be here. <laughs> now, Debbie, you have been on the show before. I think back in the back in the uh, I was about to say back in the fifties, not quite that long ago. Back in the 50, <laughs> the, the episode fifties. I think it was like episode 50, 54 or fifty five. So, do you want to tell us a bit? It was all. <laughs> do you want to tell Most us a whole year ago? Actually, I think it might have been. It, it feels like a very while ago, a long time ago. But do you want to, um, for those who haven't heard you before, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure most people listening to the show will be familiar with you. But tell us a bit about yourself and um, what you're up to in the sector. Uh, well, you know, wearing many hats as always, Liam. Um, still doing some teaching in postgraduate work at the Australian Catholic University, where I've been for. Oh, quite a number of years now, and that's where the little professor hat comes on. But more generally now doing a lot of uh, work in the sector around um, consulting and um, talking about reconfiguring quality. So can we have another look at some stuff around quality? Um, And then sort of matching that notion of um, what I call planning for the possible that includes re-looking at environments for children and, and you know, how can, how can we, um, I guess, uphold a authentic space for children? So that's probably what my daily work is, is, is just working alongside of um, educators and children and families and, and, and just kind of re-looking at things again, um, trying to get a, a little bit of depth to stuff instead of breadth to it. So that's basically what I'm doing, mm. you know, on a daily basis. And if, if people haven't worked directly with you, Deborah, in any of those roles, people probably may be familiar with you from um, you do some great stuff on social media, posting some provocations and talking about particular um, areas of practice on Instagram on, and Facebook as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is I'm I'm trying to get some conversations started um, using those. Um, social media platforms for different purposes so for example on Instagram just trying to show you know obviously with Instagram it's built around photographs but trying to to kind of share the experiences I have um, working with children um, alongside of their educators but sort of saying okay can we consider something like this as an environment for example or the intelligent materials with children on the on our Facebook um, Asia Pacific Early Childhood Consultants on our Facebook page, um, I try and share a lot of information that you know I see from the sector. And I must give a big shout out to Lisa here, who often helps me finding articles that I can't access. So thank you, Lisa, for that. <laughs> <laughs> Always and welcome just, to break um, a paywall. Yeah, and just trying to trying to get some conversations started just just to get people's you know headspace around you know we we don't all have to do the same thing but can we re-look at some of those traditional things that we've always had do we have to keep having them or can we look at them in in a different way so really using that medium as a way to get conversation started and then with Twitter, I'm probably a little bit more acidic in in the Twitter space because you can kind of just spit it out there. But, uh, you know, I think what's really worrying me at the moment, as as you alluded to earlier, is, you know, with with a plethora of new centres that are opening up and, and, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a standalone small company or whether it's the big players, Nothing is looking unique. Nothing is looking 
like it's been thought through, A, from a pedagogical point of view, you know, but also through innovation and, and um, children's rights or you know, even some compassion or, uh, as I said before, what an intelligent curriculum might look like. So that's what's really bugging me at the moment. Well, that's a... And Deborah, that... that's... Exactly what's bugging me. Well, this is what I was going to. No, I was going to. I was going to say, Lisa. I think you know this was a this was a topic you wanted us to to to, to take on and, and to contact Deborah about particularly. So, do you want to maybe Lisa might be good to start with you. What, what led you to sort of wanting to have this conversation? Yeah. So, look, what I really wanted to ask as someone who's you know not quite in this sector, who's a non-educator, who's an observer is when did the rule come in that says we can't use colours in services? Because every service that I look at now, that especially every new service, is just full of that mm, blonde wood, lots of natural colours, uh, lots of fake grass, etc. but just no colour whatsoever. And it's reached the stage where I'm hearing families and parents saying, it looks like a childcare service or it looks like an education and care service. And I'm wondering how did we get to the stage where our education and care services had a particular look? And is it, you know, like the rise of Pinterest and Instagram that is giving people an idea of this is a good service and this is what we should all, all aim towards? Or are there, in fact possibilities of having different types of services, different sorts of looks of services. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you there, Lisa, and it, it's almost like I, I know that Alma Fleet talks about, you know, the pendulum swinging too far, and I, I think she, her reference was it was around documentation, but I think the same things happen. We've gone from, um, you know, that... The, the the plastic fantastic teddy bear um, you know lots of toys kind kind of arrangement that was possibly around you know ten years or, or or so ago and and now the pendulum seems to have swung completely in the opposite direction as you're suggesting Lisa where it's no color and I don't I don't mean as in no color I just mean it's just bland it's like into a blank blank landscape and so I I think one of the one of the reasons could be now look I could I could be wrong here um but uh, you know I know in the work that I do and 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 had done you know say 10 years or so ago was talking about the impact of um visual noise on children's thinking and ability to concentrate and you know those sorts of things. So I'm I'm hoping that perhaps that was one of the the um, the, the the thought provocations that people were thinking about. But it seems like the big players came in, and with the new look, with the new builds, and this this new all timber look, um, which I think was also borrowed from um, our uh, an interpretation of what they thought our colleagues might do in um, the Italian city of Reggio Emilia, um, and, and that's the wrong too. interpretation. Yeah. But it's, that's a wrong interpretation. But it seems to me it's all sort of got a bit muddled, and I think there's a few fairly big players who 
seem to have come on the market to say, not in so many words, but this is what quality now looks like. But that's completely devoid of any relationships. And I think it's, it, 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 it's, there is no suggestion of what type of curriculum, and, and I mean curriculum in the broader sense, everything that happens from the get-go in the morning to the, to the farewell in the afternoon or the evening, is there's no there's no suggestion of how this environment, other than supposing supposedly being good quality, how it connects with children's thinking, how it connects with educators' thinking, how are we educating families about why it looks like it does? It's just bright and shiny and it's got all timber furniture. That's about it. And then, of course, as, as I think we've discussed before, um, the add-ons that go you know, that tend to go with those sorts of things. So I'm not sure how we got to this space, but I do, I absolutely do know that there are lots and lots of fabulous high quality centres who haven't gone down that pathway. But what worries me is that all the new centres seem to look like that. Yes, Deborah, can I ask, do you because I, I guess one of the worries that I have with this is that there's a real confusion about what comes first, the sorts of things that you're talking about there with the thinking and the, um, you know, the, the actual curriculum or, or what we're, we're doing with children and families. The, what's coming first is what it all looks like. And mm. then that's the, – and, and initially I thought, okay, that's, that's all right if – if the other things are resolved, but I'm starting to wonder whether we're just looking at what it looks like and then the other stuff is fading into the background. Mm, mm. I, I, would, I would agree with you there, Leanne. I think, it, you know, it's very disconcerting when, um, you know, for example, I was asked to come and do a seminar with a brand, a, a brand new team in a brand new centre um, that was all built without the input of the, the educators who were to work there or even the leadership team who were to work there. It was done without consultation with families. It, 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 it's kind of it's done in isolation that these, these new builds seem to be done in isolation. But even, you know, as recently as on the, on the weekend, there was a launch of a new centre in South Australia um, by one of the larger groups who should know better, yet it still looked the same. Yeah. So, you know, on the one hand, I'm saying, well, these, these are done by, a, a, you know, a group of people. There's, a, there's an example up here on the Sunshine Coast at the moment. I think, Lisa, you commented on the, uh, the, the photograph that um, I put up on Twitter um, over the weekend. But it, that, that there's those, those examples that are done in isolation to anything, children, families, educators. But then what worries me even more is we see the proliferation of these same sorts of places by large organisations who've got access to um, the intelligence to be able to do things in an innovative way, not just this cutting edge, whatever that is, um, 
you know, sustainability, which is usually the worm farm kind of thing. That there's there's no real thinking about how can we be really innovative in early childhood? How can we, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a brand new centre built, and this is going to sound a bit odd, but resourcing that centre so that we're mindful of our footprint and sourcing that centre from repurposed and recycled stuff. Because if you if you want to be sustainable, the whole lot has to be sustainable. It can't just be this little bit and that little bit, the, the, the whole, you know, put in a rainwater tank and solar panels. It, we've, got to, we've got to think more carefully about, you know, is it, is it possible to do it in a different way that gives children an opportunity to access different things? So, for example, I'm, I'm working with a centre up here on the sunny coast at the moment, which is a... Um, a, a renovated build of a one-room preschool. It's now three. But what we've tried to do there is in their transformation space, which is what I call it, could be an old-fashioned way I call it dress-ups. But what we've done is we've got this beautiful old farmhouse table with four chairs around it with a really old bone china tea set that we've sourced um, uh, through a number of places, so they're quite old. But the children are saying well, I wonder who sat here. What did they talk about? Did they have their birthday tea on on this table? And it, it's provoking conversations with the children so that the furniture itself is telling a story. It's a bit hard for a blonde wood chair and table to give any suggestion about anything other than it's little and I should be sitting on it. These are what I'm talking about, you know, um, real size adult size if you want to call it tables and chairs so that that that's what worries me is that we don't we're kind of selling this bright and shiny as we're not but it's being told that this bright and shiny bland blonde wood furniture is you know with with the you know probably with the um the reggio triangle thrown in somewhere and, and the watering can with the veggie garden outside that that that's that's being sold as quality and then there's you know older centers who are really struggling um to you know to play in that same space because families think that that bright and shiny is 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 fine so it is yeah. you know, it's, it's a huge it's a huge concern and and for me the biggest concern is the big players are just you know once again they're they're kind of steamrolling ahead and saying well this is what it looks like whether it's in, in an office block in a cbd or whether it's on a plot in a, a greenfield place but they still look the same but it seems like they've already commanded that that space that that is what a, a an education and care service should look like and that that is what a high quality one should look like and they bring with it some of the language that makes families think, okay, maybe that's true. They talk about things being child-scaled. They talk about, you know, transitional spaces. They talk about a lot of things that sound like, you know, that's what you want and mm. sound good and make parents go, yeah, you know, we really do need a space to be child-scaled. 
we really do, do need children to be able to choose to be indoors or outdoors. But at the same time, they're not, it's becoming the only way to do it. And Deborah, I was in, listening to you talking about the, um, you know, the table and the, the teapot. I'm thinking, okay, there, there could be some people who are listening to this and thinking, okay, Professor Deborah Harcourt says that we should be thinking about the table and the teapot, and you know, there's there's these things. But what what is your you know foundational perspective on what an environment sets out? To be, you know, rather than thinking, okay, this is something great that Deborah says, so I'm going to be mm. thinking about that from there on in. What what are the what are the principles under which you know you you would be starting that thought process for people that are thinking about their environments? Well, one one of the one of the things that I talk to teams about, you know, right at the very beginning is, you know, stand on the doorstep of your classroom or your school or your centre. Stand on the doorstep and tell me what you see. Tell me what you really see. And then the next question is, does what you see match with the values that you have about your professional practice, um, working with children, what you, your, what you believe are important things for children um, to be involved in, to be thinking about, um, to, you know, to be you know, suggestions put forward? Because I think it's it's the value system that drives these sorts of things, and it's you know what do, you know what do you really wish for children? You know what is it that you value as an experience for children? And then we start to move forward. But at the same time, Leanne, one of the things that I think is incredibly important is to really think about your pedagogical practice. Because the environment, the environment needs to support that. So, you know, mm. I, I strongly encourage centres to have a really big think about their sustainability practices, but sustainability in its biggest sense. I ask them to think about things like how do we care for this planet so that the children that we're working with have a planet to live on when they're <laughs> when when they're older. So all of these, I think these are all value-driven and it's not about a particular approach to early childhood. It, it's about what, what, you know, what we value. And mm -hmm. I think we've got to have a curriculum, again, in, the, in that bigger sense of the word, we've got to have a curriculum that upholds the, those values. We've got the, the early years learning framework as our, our framework, as our learning framework. So, you know, it, it kind of mandates um, a direction in which to go. But the language in the early years learning framework, you know, it talks about things like social justice. It talks about things like peace. It talks about sustainability. So the invitation in our framework is there. What, what we need to do is, and, and this is what I ask people to do, is to really look and understand those first 18 pages. Just tear the thing in half toss out the second half and just really work with with that first half because I think that the invitation and the promise is there if, if we could look deep, deeply enough at it. So my the, the way that I would, would 
would suggest to them, to, to teachers and, and educators and, and, and the leadership is just, just to really think about what you value around your work and, your, and what you value for children and then try and build over time an environment where the, the, you know, the pedagogy is supported by the environment. So moving away from environment as the third teacher to context as the third teacher so that we're looking at how relationships can exist in the physical environment so that they support children's learning and our learning and our teaching. So that would be, that would be the approach. One other thing that I trialled just this past Saturday, actually, is I got a whole heap of, um, and with, with most of my um, participants that I work with, um, I banned Pinterest, but I thought, come on, you know, let's, <laughs> let's rethink this. I've got to think this again. So what I did is I just printed off um, two pages. I think each page had, a, had about six pictures on, on it uh, from Pinterest and printed them off and just put them on the table and said to them, now tell me what you see here, but not as in, oh, that's a good idea, you know, like you're saying there, and Deborah said you, you should do that, so go and do it. But have a look at these and, and tell me what what thoughts come out from these. So I use the, you know how um, fashion designers use storyboards when they're designing new, you know, new a new collection or something like that. It's, if you have a look at the original drawings um, and the colours and the ideas, they're nothing like what happens in the end, but it's that provocation, it's that, is, is that thinking. So I, I asked this team to have a look at, um, you know, these photographs from Pinterest and, and to tell me what they really see there. So it was really interesting. And what were their responses? It was real. Well, they needed a little bit of um, prompting because we did start with, oh, look at that. That's really good. We could do that. Couldn't we, Sam? <laughs> Come on, come on, come on. So I had, a, I had something that I'd already prepared with the same set of photographs but with notations on them. But I just wanted to see how far I could take them in their thinking around using, you know, because I, I know people go on Pinterest and I can't ban them, so I'm thinking I've got to get them to be able to use Pinterest in a different way. Um, and it was quite interesting. We got there, we got there in the end. But I had to ask some questions like, you know, so what, what do you see here? So tell me actually what you see. So, for example, um, there was a, um, two drawings um, that had been painted over. So it was if the child had drawn first and then used watercolour over the top. So trying to get them to see wh what was that? What, what are you looking at? And, yes, a drawing with watercolour over the top. But what are you seeing? And I'm I was trying to get them to say, I'm seeing the combination of two languages, the language of drawing and the language of watercolour painting and combining those languages. So trying to think about, so what is it that you want to do with children? You want to help them combine unusual languages together, like, for example, um, I was watching some children the other day who were building with blocks and the teacher introduced the language of ribbon with the blocks. And normally you would see little people, you know, little wooden people or little cars or something. And I just kept saying to them, think out of the box. Think what, 
what language would be really unusual because they're building a curriculum around the thinking child. So what they're trying to do with, with the relationships the children have with the materials is to build it as a, you know, as a, as a thinking. This is, an, this is an intelligent curriculum. We want to offer the children intelligent materials. Mm. So just getting them to think about those sorts of things, Leanne, is really what, what I'm trying to do. Not to say this is the, the Deborah way of doing it, but I really want you to think about it. And we go really slowly because, you know, for most people that's a really hard process because we're so used to, you know, I, I saw this room, I saw this activity, I want to go and do it because it's a great idea. Yeah. And, yeah. But not yeah. asking why do I think it's a great idea? What's and so good I think about? that that's something that happens so often on Facebook and, you know, Pinterest and Instagram is that people post photos of what they've spent their weekend or their month or their term doing. So they've created with all this energy service, the service for their community, and then they post it there and they want people's approval. They want people to say, you know, yeah, that's great. They want people to tag in other educators and say, we could do this too. And mm. invariably, that's what they get. But mm. it then means that that language is becoming more and more perpetuated of this is what's good because this got X many likes or this got, you yeah. know, yeah. a lot yeah. of people, yeah. you know, excited about it. But it didn't, you know, occasionally people will say things about, Yes, but show me how children are interacting in that environment or whatever. Mm. But it's just yeah, it's the the pro, it, what is missing there is and 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 we we say it till we're blue in the face in early childhood. And you know, the pro the focus should be on the process, not the product. Yet what we're what we're seeing, and I'm sure that if you asked the people who posted it, um, yeah, you know what where is your focus? I'm I'm sure. They would use language like that, that, you know, we focus on, on the process. Yet the process is completely invisible. And, and it's, it, you know, there's no why, you know, why, not, there's no explanation as to why I'm posting this other than, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking acknowledgement from my peers. But there's nowhere do you see an unfolding or a narrative sitting around the process. But and isn't that, I, I sorry, can I just sorry. interrupt here? Isn't there a, a, an issue with what is it that educators are not getting the approval or whatever in other spheres that they have to turn to their Facebook or the, their Instagram to get someone to say to them, <laughs> What you've done is a good thing. Lisa, I think you're addressing the ultimate social media problem here. I'm not sure. No, I think it's particularly true in an environment where educators work in isolation from each other so that the educator that takes on the I will redecorate our rooms, I will redesign our service is probably working even in 
in individuality from anyone else in her own service being part of that, let alone somebody from a neighbouring service. You know, it's mm. not just people being isolated. It's something about the isolation of our services that means it's a particularly needy situation. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I've got to just a slightly different um, take on that in terms of, and I was having a similar conversation a few weeks ago with a director up here. I think it's, it, a, a lot of this is around competition. Yep. And the, the, the fear of anyone knowing what you're doing because um, if you're doing really good stuff, people are going to come and they're going to pinch those ideas and probably along with that, they're going to pinch the families too. And so there's always been, you know, for as long as I can remember, there's there's been that kind of wraparound that um, I, I want to keep everything close. I want the families obviously to love what we're doing. Um, and, but but I want to keep it close because, you know, if the if the centre up the road or down the street sees what we're doing, they'll copy it. Mm, and that's you know, a very I Queensland think, thing, then, because I don't see that necessarily in New South Wales. Don't you? Oh, it, oh. Liam, do you see that in Canberra? I think you could definitely see examples of it. I think. I mean, the ACT is quite small, so I think, and there's uh, the. There aren't these specific ACT Facebook sort of groups and social media groups, but um, yeah, I definitely, I, I, I think there's definitely part of it, particularly maybe yeah. the standalone yeah. ones. Um, no, I, I don't. But then I am not probably seeing as much stuff on Facebook because I'm not really on there, so I might miss out on that. But so even not... in, like when you go to services, like I get the feeling that New South Wales services want to share what they're doing that's unique. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't um, know. I haven't, I haven't seen the copying stuff as much. I think that's, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's well, it, it, it certainly happens up here. I've, I've seen it in Sydney. Um, I work with quite a few centres in Sydney and um, there, there's one group that I work with. It's a little group of three um, owned by the same person. We're not allowed to tell anybody what we're doing there. Wow. There's to be no sharing out, outside. Really? Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. But that's, you know, and, and then, you know, there's other... There's other examples where, um, you know, say, for example, uh, groups of educators are taken on a bus tour or, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they go and visit other centres and, and then there's the no photograph. And there's no children there when, they, when they're visiting, but there is a no photograph policy. You, you can't record in any way what you see. I, I'm, so, I'm, and, and I've seen that one a lot. Yeah, a lot. the... The one thing that um, I remember Wendy Shepherd with Mayor Mayor always yeah. was took that perspective because it was the, um, the the pedagogy that existed beneath that the environment and what what was taking place within the the collective of that the centre that the 
it was a bit pointless just taking a photo because that was that didn't represent what was actually going on there, and that was that was the rationale, which I I felt was a real yeah to me that was so sound. You know, people can't just take a photo and then they'll go to their centre and replicate that environment um, for because it looks nice because it looks really really lovely. Yeah, yeah, and I think that what what that does then is it loops us back to the beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. In that, that that seems to be what's happened is um, the you know the plethora of new services that are opening that have you know that that blandness and the fake grass and 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 whatnot. Um, again, that just seems to be um, it's just like the cookie cutter. And and that's what I was saying earlier is is that these these things have to develop, I think, in parallel. You, you can't just put a particular um, pedagogical approach on top of that um, sort of environment or any environment. It, it, they've got to develop concurrently. Mm. One one influences the other, and yeah, I, I completely I completely get why Wendy um, it, it took that particular pathway in terms of in terms of the photograph. But then, you know, one, one of the things that I think is the first step in, in changing your practice is imitation. And just Im- imitate it first and then start to think about it. So if you've got, you know, if you've seen, and this is what I'm trying to do with, with um, teams around Pinterest, is you see something that that you like that piques your interest that you think's a good idea, then you've got to ask yourself why is it a good idea, and maybe even trial it out to see what happens, and then start to think further about well how does that connect with your um, professional practice or the strategies that you use in teaching and learning, or you know your shared vision and aspirations for children, your philosophy you know your intent around your pedagogy but those things have to go together so I I don't mind people imitating for a while Um, I think that's giving credit to whatever the source is that you're imitating Um, but but you're right you know Mia Mia has developed over the last 20 odd years in tandem the you know what Mia Mia looked like when it first opened in terms of physical environment and what it looks like now are completely different not just because the trees are growing but because Wendy and Janet have taken their team on a a, a really deep journey a, around pedagogical practice and and I think you know one of the things that we're missing is that kind of leadership if we mm. had that kind of leadership in every early learning setting in the country Imagine the promise that would be there if that if that was the case, but unfortunately we haven't got that. You know that sort of leadership is only happening in Australia in pockets. I mean, there's some fantastic, fantastic leadership going on in this country, but it's not widespread enough. Mm. So I think you know that's that. If we could build the muscle. Around, you know, I, I often say to people, um, you don't actually need a director of an early learning centre, 
but you damn well need a really rock solid educational leader because the, the director role in many circumstances, not in all, but in many circumstances, particularly, particularly up here, I suppose, where I do most of my work, is a, is a manager. And, and the leadership stuff is, is missing. So if we had really strong leaders, you know, of the likes of Wendy Shepherd and, and Janet Robinson, if we had people like that in every centre, well... No. I want to do a well, whole episode on on that comment now, Deborah. But I'll be, that's going to sidetrack us. So that's going to, I've, I've got some views on that. But I know there was something um, you wanted to tackle before we, we wrapped up, Leanne. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll be quick in asking this one, Deborah. Um, but don't feel quick to in answering. But uh, I'm interested in this. Uh, you talking about the relationships that children have, and I think about the relationships that um, educators have with the children, obviously, and what that looks like in the environment, and also mm-hmm. uh, educator well-being. What do environments mean for educator well-being? Because these are spaces that are inhabited by the children and the educators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that, I mean, that, that looking at it, I, I, I'm calling it what well, I call it a systems approach it's probably not the best term to to use but what what I mean by that is whatever we do we've got to have a, a a big a really big holistic look at things and the impact that any decision has on on the people who inhabit that space and obviously primarily that's the children and the educators and how do how do we how do we support that? And the the the, the places where I see um, educators who are highly stressed is they just don't have. The, and this is only my view. They don't have the right structures in place. They, they they don't have they don't have clear direction. They don't have shared aspirations. It's it's a busy. It's a busy job, but when when I see centres that have high functioning teams that have strong leadership, um, that set high expectations for themselves and, and and for the children, and for what the environment can offer, I see far less stress in those places. Just just in terms of the stress of the job, they their their thinking. The stress is probably more in their thinking and you know wanting to go deeper in in their work. But that educators need need to be supported in being able to do that. So again, I think that comes back to the leadership. Um, and I think some of these, you know, now that we're getting, well, we seem to be getting bigger and bigger centres, you know, have more and more children with staff that are disconnected to each other. That I think that's. We've, we've got to start looking at some of the regulations around that. You know, I, I remember, and it's not that long ago, that you couldn't build any more than a 75-place centre. Yeah. You know, that, was, that, was the, that was the tops. And, you know, you look at the beautiful relationships, there's a couple of gorgeous little centres up here that are 35, 42-place centres. It's, it's such a joy. It's such a joy to watch those educators working together working with the children, working with the families, 
then you go in, you know, next minute I'm in one that's a 240 place centre mm-hmm. and it's so disconnected. It's so cold in, in terms of people, people don't know each other. A lady said to me the other day, she's an assistant director. This is her second year there and someone started at the same time as her and she said to me, I've never, they were at a, um, a professional learning seminar. She said, I've never sat and had a chat with her before, ever. In the last two years, mm, wow! Real challenges, yeah. I, I don't want to kind of wrap on an up on a negative, Deborah. So as we as we, we I mean, thank you very much for your for your time. Now we've kept you quite late as well. We do one of these annoying night recordings, but you know, if uh, let's assume people are maybe downloading this on Friday, listening to it on Friday over the weekend, you know, what's your uh, you know your advice or your guidance to services? They go back in on Monday. You know, wh- where's a place to start thinking about their approach to? To physical environments, what would you recommend people sort of did on Monday as they came back into their services? Well, I think, you know, once again, it's just standing on the doorstep of your classroom or your school or wherever you are and, and thinking about what you see and think about one thing that you would like to change and why you want to change it. I think we're not, we've got to keep coming back to that why. And I think if you can answer that why and you, and you make and you make that change, that will lead to another one and another one and another one. But you must ask the why. So you know to be you know hold that mirror up in front of you and ask yourself, do you like what you see? You know what do you like that you see? And what would you like? What's the challenges? What would you like to change? And and just try don't try and chew the elephant all at the same time. <laughs> Take a tiny little bite and just make some small steps forward, but always do it in dialogue with others. Do that critical reflection that the early years learning framework is asking us to do. And we can't critically reflect on our own. We've got to bounce our ideas off others. So, you know, draw your colleagues in, get them into some some critical conversations and have a chat about things is, is really what I'd suggest that they did. Wonderful. Great starting point for people. Well, uh, Deborah, again, thank you very much for joining us for this episode. You're, you're very welcome. All right. Thank you, uh, Professor Harcourt, for joining us. It's always great to have um, Deborah on. I, I've always really enjoyed those, those chats with her, and um, I know that's a topic that's uh, been of great interest to her for a long period of time, so I hope she enjoyed the chat too. Um, but that's uh, that's it for us this week. We'll be back. We don't have too many episodes to go before we're sort of wrapping up for the year. We usually wrap up around sort of end of November. We will have our big sort of wrap up end of year Q and A. Do you remember last year we did the thing where we Do had we to have try a and Christmas party we, we, or we'll, is that literally no. uns yeah, I think it's political sound, but we know what what we do now is is we go back and try and desperately remember the predictions we made for twenty eighteen oh, in the twenty seventeen right. episode. We, and did then we make some for this we year. We did, we did. Now I'm sure we've all, we we've all forgotten them. them we did. We made we made a whole bunch for 2018. So the, the fun of that episode is going back and remembering those predictions and seeing if any of us got right. Leanne, you won last year. You actually predicted correctly. Lisa and I lost. Wow. I must, I must have been a soft option <laughs> if I won. <laughs> must have been very, very broad, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, I, see, the trouble is I can't even remember what the, the correct predictions were for last year, let alone what the ones we made for this year. But we've got all that to look forward to in our end-of-year extravaganza Well, episode. and then we'll be looking up ahead for the following year and we'll be having an election next year, oh so there'll God. be some other predictions we'll be having to make as well. God, it's madness, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, all right. But until that dim and distant future, it's goodbye from me. 
And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.